0: So I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, have heard the phrase, losing your marbles. If you're like me, you've probably had that said about you at least once in your lifetime, right? Well, I brought some marbles with me, and I I just got to thinking, where did that phrase come from? Ever thought about that? Why marbles? And, of course, I did a little research, and I found out, Uh, It comes from the phrase, most believe it comes from around the end of the 19th century, okay? So late 1800s is when this phrase is traced back. And the interesting thing that I found out was that marbles, we think, of course, rightly, and this is what the phrase evolved into, if somebody says you've lost your marbles, what what are they saying about you? You've lost your mind, right? You're going crazy, whatever. And and that is what it evolved into, but what's interesting about this phrase is how it started is marbles was also then used to refer to possessions. And you think about it, okay, if you are a child in the late 1800s, your most, one of your most prized possessions, if you had them, were probably marbles. They were easy to get and easy to carry around, Right? A kid, you picture it, you've got a kid, he is carrying his most prized possession, his toy marbles around, and he's going to be able to carry them in his pocket, take them wherever he wants to go. He can play games, he can play with the marbles themselves, play games with other kids. So this was a valuable thing for kids to have. But what usually happened was eventually that child is going to lose his marbles, hole in the pocket you drop one and when you drop a marble it rolls away there's any number of ways that you could lose your marbles and so you're that child your most prized possession is these little glass marbles or some were made of metal at the time and you lose your marbles how are you going to feel about that you're going to you're going to be in despair You're going to feel troubled. You're going to be upset. You're going to feel all sorts of emotions. And so you can kind of see how the jump from the despair over losing something that you value greatly can be transitioned into the same feeling when you, that, that helplessness of you've lost your mind. Okay, so that's kind of how that phrase evolved. But really zeroing in on that feeling of despair, over losing something that you value greatly and in some cases value more than than anything else in the world. You know, I've been alive long enough that I know as much as it's difficult to do so, I know the importance of holding things in this life loosely. It's difficult, certainly, but that's still what we're called to do. You know, whether it's possessions You know, Mandy and I went through, and I've shared with you, losing pretty much everything we owned about three years into our marriage, Hurricane Katrina. I learned a valuable lesson in holding possessions loosely. Still struggle with it from time to time. Uh, Your job, security, your family, and now as a father, I know how difficult it is to hold my children loosely, but the truth is they don't belong to me. They are mine, I've been entrusted with them in the sense that God has given them to me to raise, but ultimately they are His. And if I truly believe that, I have to hold even the closest relationships in my life loosely. But saying that and doing that is completely is two di- completely different things. Possessions, dreams, relationships, everything. We are called to hold things loosely. But ultimately... The decision to hold something loosely, especially as it applies to relationships, it boils down to the fact that it's an act of faith. Human instinct tells us to hold on to those things tightly, to not let go, to try to to protect them with our own strength. Releasing them, presenting them to God requires that we trust Him to do what's right. In whatever it is that we are holding on to tightly or tempted to hold on to tightly. But when we do this, when we, especially as it relates to our family, especially as it relates to our children, when we do release them to God, what this does for them is it leaves a lasting in, impact on them through a practical model of faith. We're living out our faith in front of our kids. And I can think of no better way than to teach our children what it looks like to have a relationship with God, what it means to have a relationship with God. There's no better way than to live that out. Yes, teach them intentionally, but to let them see that in your life on a day-to-day basis. And one of the ways that we do that is we teach our kids, we teach our families to hold everything that we have loosely, including the relationships that we have. This morning, we're going to see a father teach his son that very lesson as we continue our series that we've called Making an Impact in Our World, Making an Impact in Your World. And our goal in this series is to be faithful and leave a legacy. And let me share with you a truth this morning. If you are faithful, God will take care of your legacy. Don't worry so much about your legacy, worry about being faithful. And this impacts all areas of life, certainly in how we maintain, how we view the things, the gifts that God gives us. If you focus on being faithful, God will take care of your legacy. Today we're going to look at the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. Now Abraham is certainly not a forgotten figure. We all know who he is, and this is a familiar story. But what I want to do this morning, we're going to talk about some familiar things, but I do want to look at it from a little different angle. And as we've established in this series... We are all nobodies. Abraham was a nobody that God called. He saw his faith, he called him, and he had a plan for him. We can all make an impact for the kingdom of God, regardless of where we come from. But this story in particular, I want to look at it a little bit, possibly a little different than you've looked at it before as we go through it. This story is about letting go, plain and simple. It's about a father letting go. A dramatic transformation takes place... In this father-son relationship that, as you can imagine, after waiting as long as he did, this relationship that Abraham had with Isaac was a unique and very special, a very close relationship. But Genesis 22 describes an event that, that changes their relationship even more drastically than it was before. It's a story of a father, a very old father, whose lifelong joy, his long-awaited son, he has to make a decision whether he's going to obey God or hang on tightly to the gift that God has given him. So look at verses 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Now, Abraham, he's over 100 years old with more than a lifetime's share of faith-building experiences. I mean, he's been through a lot at this point. He called him as a younger man to leave his home and to go to a land that God would show him later. And Abraham, in faith, did exactly what God called him to do. And God made a covenant with Abraham, promised to make him, through his descendants, to make him into a great nation. And through his Abraham's and Sarah's offspring, God would do this. God's first instruction again, leave your home, go to a land that I will show you. And he did that. He sees, you know, Abraham's been through Philistine kings. He's faced invading armies. He's faced pharaohs. He's seen the sinfulness of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Abraham's been through a lot by the time we pick up this story in Genesis 22. He's been through everything. All through that, though, this promise God makes with him, Abraham and Sarah are still childless. And they get older and older and older. And long after Sarah is past child-rearing years, God finally delivers on this promise. And she can. they conceive, she gives birth, and they had even tried to shortcut God's plan, right? They begin to doubt God, so they come up with this idea, a very bad idea, that Abraham would have a child with one of her concubines with 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 one of her um, assistants uh, and so he he makes he makes the this huge mistake he tries to get ahead of God and as we can see throughout scripture even today we're experiencing the negative effects of that mistake Abraham goes through all of this but then finally after many many years God delivers on this promise and they have a son The son is named Isaac, and Isaac becomes the symbol of everything that God had promised Abraham, the covenant that he had made with Abraham. The land of Canaan, the promised land, would be filled with Abraham's descendants, all that God had promised. They would grow up, and, and, and these descendants would ultimately become a great nation. Abraham loved this son. Abraham loved God. He loved this son. And then one day, God asked Abraham to do something after this all this time he waited. He has this son finally. Abraham, God asked Abraham to do something that seemed absolutely insane. He says what we just read, to take that son and offer that son as a sacrifice, to kill that son as a sacrifice. To God, even though he had made all these promises, this promise to Abraham. That would test Abraham. Abraham had been through a lot of tests at this point, right? But this is going to test Abraham's faith more than anything else that he's experienced in his life. And those of you who have children, would you agree with that statement? This would test his faith more than anything else he had faced in his life. But what we see in this story, we see some realities. Of faith unfold as Abraham responds to this and Abraham had made some mistakes he had lied a few times to save his own skin he had gotten ahead of God he had learned from those mistakes and we're going to see that he had learned some lessons of faith and these realities as they unfold hopefully will challenge us to model this faith the first is this genuine faith includes testing genuine faith includes testing You know, at some point in your life, your faith is going to be tested, if it hasn't already. You're going to be faced with a situation where you have to decide, do I trust God even though I don't see a clear way out of this? Or a clear way this is going to succeed? If this doesn't make sense from a human perspective, do I trust God enough to step out in faith even though it doesn't make sense? That's a test of faith. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. After these things, all those things that Abraham had been through, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am. He answered, take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. You know, it's almost like God saying, okay, you remember that phrasing, right? Okay, I've already done this before. Go to a land that I will show you. Go to the mountain that I will tell you about. Everything worked out before it's going to work out again. And so now Abraham's faith is going to be tested. As an older father, you can imagine Abraham took a lot of joy in his son, as any father would. But when you, when you look at all he went through to get Isaac, he certainly took great joy in this son that he had waited so long for. So those words, God tested Abraham, kind of take on a whole new dimension when you consider the backstory when you consider all that they had been through, suddenly God steps in and commands this father who loves his son so much to do something that's unthinkable. It was bad enough to hear that Isaac was going to die. That would have been bad enough. But then he said, he's told, no, he's going to die at your hand. You have to sacrifice him. And you can't, We can't imagine what's going on in Abraham's mind at this point. Why would a good and loving God ask some, one of his children to do something like this? The answer is in the original language. If you look at the original language, the Hebrew word "nasah," which is translated tested in Genesis 22, 1, has the idea of proving the quality of something. Proving the quality of something. Usually... That quality is proved by putting it through some sort of strain, some sort of trial to test and prove the quality of whatever that is. God wanted to prove the validity, the authenticity of Abraham's faith. Now remember, think about this. This isn't for God's benefit God's omniscient. He knows all. He knew Abraham's faith. He knows everything. He knew how Abraham was going to respond. This isn't God testing Abraham to say, hey, I'm going to wait. You know, Maybe he will, maybe he won't. This is for Abraham's benefit, but it was also for Isaac's benefit. We know from hindsight how this turns out, okay? But neither one of them did. And so Abraham... It proves to him himself that he trusts God by going through with this, but also Isaac sees a firsthand account of what authentic faith really is. So he's teaching his son by obeying God, even though it doesn't make sense and it seems contradictory to the promise that God had made. So Abraham, this was this was for the purpose of showing this would be the time and place. Again, he had lied to protect himself. He had gotten ahead of God. But this right here, in my opinion, is the time and place where Abraham, whether or not he truly trusted God, was settled once and for all. All of that, yes, he had made mistakes. He had learned from those lessons. He did truly trust God. And that becomes very, very clear in how he responds to what God calls him to do here. Whether or, not God, whether or not Abraham trusted God would never be questioned again after this day. His family would see his faith, his friends would see his faith, and most importantly, Isaac would see his faith. Now, fast forward to modern day. This issue is so very important, okay? This question, this is the question that Abraham's facing here, and it's a question we all need to ask. Abraham had to ask himself, did he, did he love the gift Isaac? That God gave more than he loved God himself. And that's a question for all of us. Do I love the gifts that God gives me more than I love the giver? God himself. Have I begun to worship the relationships that God has given me rather than the one who gives me those things? Relationships, possessions, dreams, goals. You fill in the blank. Am I worshiping that? Do I love that more than God? Now, you should love your family. You should love your children. You should love your job, hopefully. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. You should have dreams. You should have goals. There should be things in your life that you value. There's nothing wrong with loving things and people. But the Bible is very clear that God deserves a place in our heart that is above anything else and anyone else in our lives. And so God was testing Abraham so that he would know that he was first place in his life, so that Abraham would know, and that everybody around him would see that God was first place. Now look at that word, worship. Worship, actually, I've given definitions for the word worship, and you've probably heard many, but it comes from an Anglo-Saxon word that means worthship. And so when I'm worshiping something, I'm ascribing value to it. I'm, I'm, I'm declaring that it's that it's worthy, that it is valuable, that it has worth. And when we worship something, we are are affirming the value in our own hearts. We do that with our actions. We certainly do that with song. We do that with, with praise and worship, but we do that with our actions. We do that with our attitudes. We do that with how much we invest in something. We are showing how much it's worth to us. So as a parent, I have to ask, do I assign more value to my more worth to my child, my family, than I do God. And listen, that's a tough question to answer, right? I mean, I should love my children. I should value them. My wife. My family should have great value. But again, that value, that that love that I have for my family. As important as it is, my love for God has to be greater. My, my worship of Him should be unmatched by anything that I have in my life, whether relationships or possessions. God's instructions to Abraham here included the words burnt offering, and that's important as well. Because what it actually means here is the whole burnt offering. You know, there were some offerings that you didn't offer the whole animal. As a matter of fact, you could eat part of this. The, the person sacrificing would eat part of that. But then there were, uh, there were offerings that were whole burnt offerings, the head, the foot, the hoof, the tail, everything on the animal, okay? And that's the meaning here. And it's important because um, in doing this, Abraham is offering all of Isaac. Isaac does not truly belong to him, Isaac is God's. And so he's sacrificing everything. And, and, and God's saying, I want, I want all. I want everything. Not just part, but everything. Now think about that for a moment. God's saying, I want the entire body of this young man, your son, that you love dearly. I want all of him. You can't have anything. Are you willing to give everything to me? Now that had to be tough to hear. And I can't, though, help but be impressed with Abraham's response. He, you know, and and I'm sure there's some behind-the-scenes stuff, maybe that we don't know. But I also believe that Scripture is intentional. And from everything we see, Abraham didn't hesitate for a second. Now, how many of you could say that that would be you? I'm just going to be honest with you. I would have hesitated for several seconds. Is there another option? Is there any other way? God, do you? Did I hear you correctly? Are you sure about this? But no, no delay, no argument, no hesitation, no bargaining, not even a question or a hint of reluctance do we see in this account. Verse 3, Abraham got up early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering. He immediately gets to work preparing. He split wood for a burnt offering, and he set out to go to the place God had told him about. Now, I would imagine, though, the night before was a sleepless night for Abraham, wouldn't you? He probably didn't spend a whole lot of time resting during that night. But we see a certain amount of resignation in his actions. He, holds, he doesn't hold anything back. There's no hesitation here. And I'm also impressed here with just his simple trusting faith. He just trusted God, and that's evident in the fact that he immediately gets to work doing what God's called him to do. And simple obedience, which we see in the coming verses, this, this simple faith, this simple obedience, carrying out this command immediately. And it showed Abraham's maturity. Look at verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked up, and he saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham saw to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we will come back to you. We see here in this statement Abraham gives a clearly implied statement of faith. And and I think, the I believe the NIV captures it. Well, now if it's me, I'm going, God, why? I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. You made me this promise. This isn't fair. But Abraham, when he sees the place in the distance, he turns to his, his servants. And the NIV says it very, very, it emphasizes it very well. It says, He says to them, We will worship and then we will come back. So God, just because God's asked Abraham to do this, Abraham still believes in the promise that God had made. He is not doubting that God is going to fulfill the promise to make a great nation through his lineage, through Isaac. There's no room for doubt here. In the original language. And Abraham clearly expects to return with Isaac. And we see even more in Hebrews 11. You know, how, how, do, how could he have known that? How could Abraham have known? Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. When he received the promises. And yet he was offering his one and only son. The one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. So the Holy Spirit, through the author of Hebrews, gives us insight into what Abraham was actually thinking. When he said, we will go worship, we will come back. So, Abraham's thinking, even if I have to go through this, through with this, God is able to raise him back from the dead. And that must be what he's planning because he's made me a promise and God never goes back on his promises. God is faithful. And so, within this, we see another reality of faith. Genuine faith requires believing. Now, if you look at Hebrews, the verses that I just read, we see that Abraham knew and believed in three important facts. First, Isaac was going to be the vehicle of God's promises. God had said it, it would happen. So Isaac had to live, right? Stands to reason. Can't be that, can't can't make a great nation through Isaac if he's not alive. Second, God always keeps his promises. Abraham believed that, and we see it in his statement, and we see it in Hebrews, and we get insight into what he's, he was thinking. And then third, God's power is absolute, even power over death. So in light of this, the only logical conclusion, again, was that, that somehow Abraham believed, against natural reasoning, that if he had to go through with this, that God would bring Isaac back from the dead, his only son. Oswald Chambers In My utmost for His Highest, he writes this about believing and trusting in the character of God. He says, Faith is the heroic effort in your life. You fling yourself in reckless confidence on God. God has ventured all in Jesus Christ to save us. Now he wants us to venture our all in abandoned confidence in him. Again and again... He says, you will get up to what Jesus Christ wants and every time you will turn back when it comes to the point until, until a certain point, until you abandon resolutely. Yes, but supposing I do obey God in this matter, what about fill in the blank with any number of things? What if that happens? Yes, I will obey God in this matter if he will let me use my common sense, But don't ask me to take a step in the dark. If a man, he continues, is going to do anything worthwhile, there are times when he has to risk everything on his leap. And in the spiritual domain, Jesus Christ demands you risk everything you hold by common sense and leap into what he says. Trust entirely in God. And when he brings you to the venture, see that you take it. We act like pagans in a crisis, he says. Only one out of a crowd is daring enough to bank his faith on the character of God. There will come a time in your life, I've experienced times in my life, where God is going to ask you to do something that seems, from a human perspective, like you're losing your marbles. It's going to seem completely irrational. But you have to make a decision. Am I going to take that leap of faith contrary to human reason, common sense, or am I going to play it safe and retreat? Abraham took that leap of faith. What an incredible model of faith we have. Don't miss his quick response, his unrestrained follow-through, his simple faith. Look at verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He laid it on his son Isaac in his hand. He took the fire the knife, and the two of them walked together. Now, when we see this in children's Sunday school classes, we see usually Abraham walking with a small boy. Problem is, a small boy could not have carried all that wood, for one thing. Isaac was not a small boy, and Isaac was nearly grown at this point. He was a young man at this point. Isaac had been around for a long time. Isaac was old enough to understand fully what was going on here. I mean, Isaac is old enough and strong enough to carry all that wood. He's a pretty big guy. I mean, he's, he's, he's grown to a certain point, at least almost fully grown. So Isaac knew what was happening. He could understand the significance of the sacrifice that they were about to make, the ritual. He knew enough about that to know what was going on. And look at look at these verses carefully and try to imagine... This moment between an elderly father and his nearly grown, nearly adult son. The New English translation, I think, captures the emotion well. Verses 7 and 8. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, what is it, my son? He replied, here is the fire and here is the wood, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I wonder how long it, you know... He thought about that before he had the courage to ask. God will provide for himself. The lamb for the burnt offering, my son Abraham replied. And the two of them continued on together. So Isaac finally asked the obvious question. Okay, we got everything except the sacrifice. Except the animal for sacrifice. And I love Abraham's answer. God will provide. God will provide. He'll provide for himself. That's up to him. Our job is just to simply do what God asks us to do and to trust that he will provide. Now, how many areas of life does that apply to? This is a risk he's saying, though, that we are going to share together. We trust God. We trust his promises. We trust him to provide. So we're going to do this together. And this is where we see the reality that genuine faith involves risking. Genuine faith involves risking. You know, some people live so carefully that they fail to take any risks at all. You can live your whole life, never take a risk, and you can get to your life and never really experience anything spectacular. that, That applies to any number of things. It certainly applies to faith. If I never take a risk for God that he's called me to take, then I will never experience what it means to truly depend on him. I'll never experience the miracle of his his power working in and through my life. Some people take that approach, but not Abraham. His faith had matured to the point that he was absolutely confident in God. He was confident in God's character. He was confident in God's promise, and he was willing to take a risk. And this is the perfect lesson in theology for his son. How was he able to do this? I've asked this question many times. And, And the simple answer is that he had faith. And we always talk about Abraham's faith, but we don't really talk much about Isaac's faith. And that's kind of what I want to finish up on as we conclude, prepare to conclude this morning. Isaac had to have faith too, faith in his father. If he truly was a young man, he could have gotten, I mean, his dad's pretty old. He could have gotten out of this if he wanted to. He didn't have to go along with this, but he trusted his father and ultimately he trusted God. Look at verse 9. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound Isaac, his son, and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. I've heard this passage preached several, several times, and it's always preached appropriately so as an example of Abraham's faith, but I can't remember many times, if any, where I heard this preached And it talks specifically focusing in on Isaac's faith and his trust in this. And this is important because Isaac obviously trusted God. And here's the thing, okay, and this is why this is so important for fathers. Moms too, but fathers as the spiritual leaders of our homes. Isaac did not learn that faith on the way up the mountain. This was something that Isaac had seen modeled in his father day after day after day after day. Let's say he was 18 years old. For 18 years, he had seen his father model this faith. So when Abraham said God would provide, Isaac believed him because Isaac had inherited the same faith. He had made a choice himself, but he had the same faith that his father had because of Abraham's legacy and teaching and modeling that faith for Isaac. You know, some of you as parents, you may find yourself in a situation similar to this in some way. God's called you to let go in some way of a child because of circumstances, because of of their choices, because of You've done all you can to help or they are in a situation where necessarily they haven't done anything wrong but there's nothing you can do. They're facing difficulty. There's nothing you can do to help them. You would love to jump in and try to work things out but the reality is God's calling you to let go and let him teach them some valuable lessons in faith. God's asking you to let go in some way and because you know that God is in control regardless of the circumstances. We can look at Abraham as our example. We have to place our relationships in his hand. Now, I'm saving, saying this as a father who wants more than nothing to protect my kids. I don't want to see my kids hurt. I don't want to see my kids go through trials. I don't want to see my kids go through difficulties. I, I as a father, has a, have an instinct to protect them from everything, but I know I can't. And I know that in the end, they are God's. And as hard as that is for me to think about, as hard as that is for me to say, the reality is when, when God gave me, Mandy and me, these children, he gave them to me, but we dedicated them to the Lord. They are his. They are gifts to us to raise, but they are his. His. And so I have to trust God in all of their lives. And the older they get, the more they're making decisions on their own, and the more times I want to bonk them on the head when they make a dumb decision. But there are some decisions that I have to let them make and learn from. Even knowing that is difficult, right, parents? Knowing when to step in and bonk them on the head or let them fall on their own and learn from those mistakes. But that's all part of letting go. But the moment arrives in verse 10. Abraham reached out. He takes the knife to slaughter his son. As far as Abraham's concerned, there's no surprise ending here. What's about to happen is what's going to happen. What what he thinks, what everybody thinks is going to happen. It's going to end in the death of his son. But at the last possible moment, God intervenes. The angel of the Lord called to him, verse 11, from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. I believe it's safe to say that Isaac was relieved at this point. (laughs) But I guarantee you, nobody was more relieved than Abraham. As God stopped Abraham, he says, you've passed the test. Again, it's not about God learning. It's about Abraham and Isaac and everybody else seeing his faith, Abraham's faith. You've passed the test, and you've proven that I am first place in your life. God says, you've proven that I am first and that you will put nothing before me, not even your one, your only son. Look at verse 13. Abraham looked up, he saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went, he took the ram, and he offered it as a bird offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. So today it is said, It will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Abraham's actions reveal that he trusted God. He had genuine faith. Genuine faith in God. Which brings us to reality number four. Genuine faith produces revealing. We see some characteristics of a God who asked nothing of Abraham that he wasn't willing to give himself. What do I mean? Well, three powerful truths before we finish. One, God the Father showed us how to live when he released his son to us. God sent the son and Jesus gave up heaven. Set aside some of his attributes to come to earth, to live, to be subject to the pains and sorrows of of life, the limitations that we all face, to mature, to learn, to minister, to suffer, and then ultimately to die. If the father was willing to release his own son to us, What could be so much more valuable to us that we wouldn't be able to release it to God? Second, God the Son showed us how to die when he released himself to the Father. Isaac's quiet obedience here speaks volumes about, the. gives us an example of the obedience of Jesus to submit to the will of the Father to the point of giving up his own life. That's exactly what Jesus did when he gave his life at Calvary. And third, God the Spirit will show us how to live and die as we learn to release whatever has us in its grip. You know, that that phrase, last phrase wasn't a mistake because the reality is, as long as we're owned by whatever we're holding on to, we will never be given over completely to the Holy Spirit. And, and again, these marbles, you know, they represent. Things of value. They represent things of importance. You know, marbles are kind of hard to hold on to. I mean, they roll around. They're slippery. They're hard to hold on to. But you can hold on to them. And representing the things of value, even now I'm having trouble keeping them in my hand. They teach you to hold things loosely, but I can't hold on to them. I, I can hold on to them tightly. And if I hold on to the things in my life tightly, to the point to where they're worth more to me than God is... God is going to do something to get me to release this. He's going to do something to get me to let go and he'll tug gently to begin with because he's kind and he's gracious. But the tighter I hold on, the more likely I am to cause pain. For one thing, these marbles are kind of hurting my hand right now because I'm holding on to them so tightly. But eventually God will pry my fingers loose if he has to. And if you do that, you can cause damage, right? You can dislocate a finger. You can break a finger if somebody attempts to pry this loose. And that's what happens. The tighter I hold, the more likely he is to use force to let me go, and that can be painful. And so the lesson is, as hard as it is, and listen, I'm not saying this is easy, but as hard as it is, we have to hold things loosely. We've got to be willing to trust God with everything that we have but the impact here this display of faith is so beautiful because of the impact that it has I guarantee you guarantee you that as good as and as special as their relationship was before Abraham and Isaac's relationship was never the same after this when Isaac saw his dad willing to do whatever God asked And saw God provide in the midst of that. Abraham's faith increased. And you better believe Isaac's faith increased. Abraham valued his son even more than he did before. If that was possible. After getting him back. And Isaac valued his life more. After going through that. And admired his father more. The impact that this had. Amazing. So... Dads, moms, all of us, whether you're a dad or a mom, whatever you have in your life, relationships, possessions, but specifically for parents and anybody who has influence over anybody else, which we all should be discipling, are we modeling our faith for the people that we have influence over? Parents, are we modeling our faith for our kids? This is a question that we all need to ask, including myself. We we need to evaluate. Where in our lives are our kids seeing this type of faith on a day to day basis? Remember again, this isn't something Isaac didn't learn this on the way up the mountain. This was something he saw day after day after day. Are we modeling the faith that we say that we have? Do I trust God? Am I willing to take risks for the Lord that He calls me to take? Am I willing to let The things in my life go to show that I hold those things loosely, even my relationships. These are tough questions, but they are part of living out our faith in Jesus Christ. We are called to be faithful, and if we do, we will leave a legacy for our children. But we have to be faithful. That's the purpose of this series, and I can think of no better legacy to leave than a legacy of faith for my children. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and for the calling that you have placed on our lives. The reality is we know that, that, that faith, accepting salvation is an easy thing of saying yes to you and believing in you. But living out our salvation and having faith from day to day is challenging, especially when life hits us hard. Especially when you call us to do something that is difficult. That's impossible to understand. But we should trust you just as Abraham did. We've all fallen in that area, I'm sure. We've made mistakes just like Abraham did. But God, I pray that we would be committed to trusting you. And that, we would, that just, wouldn't just be something that we say on Sunday mornings or around people that we want to believe that we have faith, Lord, I pray that that would be something that we live each day and that it would be evident in the decisions that we make, the value that we place on things, the actions that we take, and all that we do. Father, I pray that we would display our faith in you, that we would be willing to take risks for you individually as a church. Lord, if you call us to do it, I pray that we would do it without question, without hesitation, that we would pursue you, that we would follow you wherever you lead. As parents, those of us who have kids, I pray that we would model this faith to our children each and every day, that they would see that while we are imperfect, that we fall short, that we truly do believe what we say, and that we're willing to stand by that regardless of the consequences, that we're willing to follow you regardless of the consequences that we face in this life. Because we know that you are truly the one and only true God, that Jesus, we believe you truly are the only way to the Father, and that the only way we can have satisfaction in this life and eternal life with you in heaven is by trusting you for salvation and following you every Day, every step of our lives. That if we truly are saved, that we will live it out each day in obedience and in faithfulness. God, give us strength and show us how to respond to this message this morning. Whatever you want us to do, I pray that we would obey you in this time. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?